You must stay at home. Stay at home. Hello and welcome to Lockdown, hosted by Steve Bonford with Mike Davis-Marks. Our armed forces operate in challenging environments. Week by week, we'll explore what we can learn from their experiences. Hello, Steve. Um, I hear you've managed to secure uh, our Portsmouth South MP for uh, the next version of your podcast. Yes, indeed. The Shadow Armed Forces Minister, Stephen Morgan, which I have to admit, I didn't know as much about as I thought I did. Um, But yes, let's give it a listen. You've recently been appointed Shadow Minister for the Armed Forces. What does this new role entail? And in the context of COVID-19, what do you hope to achieve for the UK's armed forces? So I've long argued that uh, I believe the first task of government is to protect its citizens. Um, And it's a huge privilege to have been appointed the new Shadow Minister for the Armed Forces, uh, someone that represents a a seat in Parliament that's the heart and home to the Royal Navy. I can't think of a better job, to be honest, and it's a real privilege. It's strange times to have been appointed in that role in light of Parliament currently being in hybrid form. Um, But I'm really enjoying kind of getting out there, talking to people via Zoom calls and and, uh, over the phone to find out what some of my kind of key issues are. It's a really broad uh, role that I've now got. So responsibilities around defence operations, Brexit and international engagement, recruitment and retention, training in the equipment plan, cyber, commemorations, cadets, military police. It's pretty wide ranging. So what I'm currently doing, um, whilst Parliament's not sitting as much as it usually would do, is thinking through what the kind of priorities and issues are. Um, And it's really exciting and looking forward to get more stuck in and talking to others and building that kind of stakeholder group. So that is a very wide brief, Stephen. Am I right in thinking that you've only had this role under lockdown? Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So um, previous roles um, included kind of shadow communities brief with a role around faith communities and social care. And then from January, I've been involved around defence procurement. Uh, But this particular brief is very much about the kind of operations that the armed forces have around the world. So uh, under lockdown, my interest has been around making sure that those in the armed forces that are working on the front line are tested. And we've done lots of work uh, to make sure that the Queen Elizabeth, before she sailed last week, uh, people on board were tested before they went away. And I'm really keen to make sure that we think through once we come out of lockdown, what the lessons are that we can learn and how Britain reshapes those global relationships with NATO so that we deploy our armed forces appropriately in the future. Wow, there's some big meaty subjects in all of that, isn't there? Yeah, and one thing I'm really conscious of is that often we around the dinner table talk about the NHS and schools but we don't talk about defence and defence is hugely important to our country and our relationship with the rest of the world Um, and I really want to kind of up the profile about defence issues and make sure that there's better recognition and value of what our armed forces are doing because they're doing fantastic things at the moment in response to COVID-19 and I think they deserve recognition and praise for that hard work. I'd agree completely with that. 
I notice on your Facebook page that your granddad served during World War II and he took part in the D-Day landings and you'd posted a photo of him. I think it was at HMS Vernon. What do you think he would say about the challenges we're currently facing? Gosh, um, I mean, just to keep both sides of the family happy, both of my grandfathers served in the Second World War. So one of my grandfathers was in the army. Uh, he was in the Royal Army Service Corps. So he left South Sea on his 17th birthday for, for Operation Overlord. Um, so I think he lied about his age to join the army, basically, and serve his country. Um, and I often talk about him, uh, obviously, because of last year, Portsmouth marking the 75th anniversary of the D-Day landings. But my other grandfather actually moved from the Rhondda Valley in Wales to join the Royal Navy. And I think was based out of HMS Vernon, which, of course, now is Gunworth Keys and worked on torpedoes. So um, both of them have a proud military history. And I only wish that as a kid, I asked them more questions about their experiences because it would, quite frankly, be quite, quite valuable for the role that I now entail. Um, I think that they would be, uh, if I asked them, had the opportunity, and I'd love that opportunity, I think they would be um, mindful about actually COVID-19 doesn't respect borders. It's a global pandemic uh, and the armed forces have a crucial role to play in what the global response is to this dreadful, dreadful disease that's affecting millions of people around the world. Mm and presents a, a, an monumental challenge, as you say. On a, on a local level, as MP for Portsmouth South, what are you doing to support all our local communities, not just the military? What, what can our local MP do to help us? Yeah, so, so I think in this kind of unprecedented time of crisis, which is not only a public health emergency, but also an economic crisis, I think we're about to have one of the deepest recessions in our nation's history. We've seen in my office the trebling of people getting in touch uh, with their concerns and issues and questions uh, and people that have never contacted their MP before. So it's been really, really difficult. And of course, trying to, to run a casework service when we can't run an office out of our um, location on Albert Road has been really challenging. Um, and what I've learned is that the government are quite quick to make big announcements, but quite slow to get that detail out about how it's going to have an impact on people's lives. So it's been a, a difficult few weeks um, and we're trying to do the best we possibly can to help businesses, to help vulnerable people, help charities get through this, this difficult time. And I've always said that I've wanted to work constructively with the government where they get things right, but obviously as an opposition, support them in terms of uh, getting the mistakes corrected. So COVID and its response uh, to constituents has been a top priority. But above and beyond that, obviously, making sure that our schools in the city get the resources that they need, getting more bobbies back on the beat, that we get that new A&E facility built up at QA Hospital and make sure that our business community in Portsmouth are thriving and flourishing, because I think that small business is the bedrock of our economy in Portsmouth and business needs to be supported. And more and more importantly is that climate emergency and making sure that we take advantage of the conditions that Portsmouth has as a flat city, that we encourage more white, uh, walking and cycling and bring down the dangerous air pollution that we see. So those are some of the sorts of things. But But what I've learned in my two and a half, three years as being an MP is that people expect you to have the kind of breadth on issues and also the depth on issues. And sometimes that can be quite challenging. 
And therefore, that's why it's important for me to kind of engage as often as I can and listen to people to understand what their priorities are for me to take up to Parliament. Okay, you said there's been a a trebling of inquiries, if that's the right word. Are there any themes that are coming out there that you can discuss, broad themes? Yeah, so I think there's been real challenges around uh, those that are shielding and making sure that they're given support from various different agencies around allowing them to shield at home. Obviously, there's been panic buying at the outset of this crisis around people buying more than they actually need and making sure those on the front line and those that are shielding get the food that they need. Uh, There's been real issues around some of the gaps in business support that the government provided i think the government have been very ambitious in the support that they provided but the more you look in the detail the more you find gaps and certainly an area that i've been focusing on those that are self-employed there's over seven thousand self-employed people in portsmouth south making sure that they get support through the government schemes and also the charities and other organizations that because of ticket sales completely stopping or because of charity shops closing or financially in a difficult place and what i want to make sure is that when Britain recovers and when our city recovers, we've got a good package of support from the government to help our economy and our communities get get running again. That's interesting. Bearing all that in mind, what do you think the long-term impact of COVID-19 will be? I mean, that's a fascinating question. Um, and I think right now we need to be thinking about what we can learn from this period of crisis to make our society better as a result of the recovery. And there's been some fantastic community resilience that we've seen across Portsmouth and across our country where people are engaging in ways that they haven't done before, uh, online in particular, but also neighbours helping each other out. And I think that just presents some really exciting opportunities to build a much fairer and more compassionate society. And I think also people are learning a lot about what they buy and what they throw away. And I think that might bring some real opportunities in terms of people being a bit greener and a bit more considerate about what they're purchasing. Um, And also, I just think a greater recognition of those that work on the front line, the contribution that they make to, to keep our communities safe and well. I really want to make sure that we capture that and kind of make sure we take advantage of that in the future. On a personal level, I mean, you've talked about obviously your job role and aspirations, but um, what are you and your family doing differently to get through this, apart aside from obviously the massive changes that are going on in your work environment? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really tough. And like everyone else, I'm really missing my loved ones, my friends and family. So we're, we're using quite a lot of technology to kind of keep in touch. Uh, I'm really missing my two-year-old nephew. Um, so we're kind of sharing things for him to colour in and then him send them back to me. Uh, you know, we're, we're reminiscing, we're doing quizzes, we're doing bingo online. Just finding new ways of connecting with family. In many respects, I think that's brought... Uh, me and my family closer together through this crisis. And I think that will be a lasting legacy of this pandemic, that people will have stronger relationships as a result of what they've been through. Are you very um, competitive with online bingo? (laughs) Um, uh, Yes, I probably would only only play a game if I knew I was going to win it. (laughs) So, yes, very competitive. Sorry, sorry, I had to ask that because, you know, just the idea of bingo being like a full contact sport. More seriously, once this is all over, what are you looking forward to the most, doing the most? 
I I just think missing human contact actually uh, just the opportunity. I think I think what we've learned from this crisis is just how important it is and how much we rely on one another. Um, so I'm really looking forward to those opportunities to see people catch up with people, share ideas and views and take action together. Um, so that's what I'm most looking forward to. I'm also most looking forward to getting a haircut again. <laughs> Just desperate to do that. Um, and uh, whilst we've learned a lot from uh, using technology to work and engage with others, you can't beat face-to-face interaction. So I'm certainly looking forward to that uh, when the opportunity arises. I, qu- I quite agree. Um is the is the the need for a haircut the reason we're not doing this as a video call? I wonder. <laughs> One final question: Would you like to tell our audience something about you that they don't know? Yeah, I, I, I'm a bit nervous about what might come back to bite me. <laughs> that question. Um, I guess let me let me give you a choice, really. So you could have the Vespa story, you could have the story about the Blue Peter badge, or you could have the story about the broken arm. Oh heavens! I want to say all three of the above. I'm I'm <laughs> going not, to go. They're not linked. They're not linked. Well, that's good. You <laughs> got a linked. blue Peter badge for breaking your arm whilst riding a Vespa. Um, so I'll go for the Vespa story, please. Yeah. So when I graduated from university and moved back to Portsmouth, I decided to save up and treat myself to a Vespa, um, and I bought a 1962 fully restored Vespa that came down from Edinburgh. So I went out on my first lesson uh, up at Sainsbury's Farlington in the kind of car park opposite there and came off the motorbike, basically, and went up the ditch and and was quite shaken. So I never then had any further lessons uh, to to learn how to ride a motorbike. So my lovely, beautiful 1962 Vespa sat in my living room for a year um, as an ornament, and then I sold it shortly after. So I've not told many people that story because it, it shows kind of an example of failure, really, that I probably should have got back up and had the courage to get back on a motorbike and learn. But but uh, from pressure from others, I realised that it probably isn't the way that I'd want to get around the city and, and sold it in the end. It sounds like it was a wise decision, <laughs> to be quite honest. And uh, if you ever offer me a lift, I'll, ex- I'll insist it's um, on four wheels, if that's OK. <laughs> Stuck with a bicycle in the end rather than a Vespa. Well, I guess that's better for the environment. Thank you, Stephen, very much for your time today. You're welcome. Well, that was fascinating, Steve. Um, so you said before hit the interview that you didn't know much about his role as Shadow Armed Forces Minister. Do you think you know a bit more now? Uh, in so much as it's a very broad brief and it encompasses an awful lot of things, I was genuinely surprised as to what that entails. Um, so my guest defence is more complicated than I realised. Yeah, but I I sense he was really excited to have gained that role, not just because Portsmouth is the home of the Royal Navy, but also because he told us that that tale about his two grandfathers during um, D-Day, didn't he? Indeed he did, and that that was quite interesting. He's obviously very proud, as you say, of that, and I think rightly so. But I was also quite taken by the fact that, you know, he wished he'd asked more questions when he was younger. Um, not always easy, because I guess it's also a generation that perhaps doesn't like talking about it that much. I think that's a, I think that's a, a motto for all of us, which is we should always try and ask questions when we can uh, and before it's too late. So I think he's right there. But it was interesting that he, I mean, he was immensely proud of his 
uh, grandparents, uh, his granddads, um, one in the army, one in the navy. So that's nice as armed forces minister have two services included there, um, and that they, you know, got involved in some really, um, you know, great things. D Day for one, you know, uh, working at HMS Vernon on torpedoes. Now a lot of people in Portsmouth won't know where HMS Vernon uh, was, but of course it's now Gunwolf Geys. Indeed it is. And I think there is a massive great big torpedo by one of the, the locks, if that's the right phrase. That's not a lock, is it? Um, but I think now I know why there's a great big torpedo, though. Yeah, I think I've sat on it to tie my shoelaces at one occasion or another. I also got a sense that um, he actually was quite passionate about the armed forces. So it was a role in which he has not just location, but also passion. And I think he really does want to make sure that the armed forces, as armed, Shadow Armed Forces Minister, get the recognition they deserve, particularly uh, during their role in COVID-19 at the moment. Absolutely. And I think he mentioned also about making sure that the crew of HMS Queen Elizabeth were tested. Um, and I think, like you say, proper recognition for the work that the armed forces are doing, which is probably a lot more than we realise at the moment. Yeah, I, that's certainly true. And, you know, I think you know, nothing should detract from the fantastic work on the front line by our NHS workers and care workers and other key workers. Uh, but the armed forces, 20,000 are involved in this at the moment, providing all sorts of support in terms of logistics and testing and a whole lot of other stuff that is largely unsung. So I, I hope they get more recognition um, in, in, in the days and weeks to come. I'm absolutely sure they will. But moving slightly away from the armed forces, he also talked about the challenges of what um, may lay in the future, particularly in terms of a potential recession and the economic impact of, of COVID-19. What do you think about that? Well, I think he's right to air that as a issue. I think that uh, we, you know, there are two crises going on at the moment, and obviously there's a health one, which we're all very aware of, but uh, increasingly there's an economic one that is unfolding before our eyes, and that has consequences of its own, not least health as an indirect consequence. Um, in other words, mental health issues, something that obviously is quite dear to the company and maker's heart. Indeed, I think it's, it is incredibly important. Um, and for businesses learning, including the company makers, learning how to adapt in, I don't like this phrase, but whatever the new normal will look like, we've got to find a way of doing business differently and helping the company makers, helping people differently. And we do have some ideas about that. Yeah, and hopefully we'll hear those over the course of these podcasts. Um, the other thing I thought was was really quite interesting was that he said, well, actually, we now have an opportunity to do some things that out of the, like a phoenix out of the ashes from this crisis. And he was talking about, you know, get a, a greater sense of community, which we are getting to continue having more community. But he was all talking about more compassion and and he was talking about more sustainability. And, uh, you know, he mentioned that air pollution uh, was was significantly down on pre-COVID-19 levels. And wouldn't it be fantastic if we could find a way of keeping it down? Absolutely. And there's probably business opportunities there. So businesses that couldn't have existed, what, eight weeks ago? Is that how long we're talking? Only eight weeks ago? It doesn't seem that long ago. Then it seems an age when you think of lockdown. Anyway, I thought it was a really good interview. Well done you for for um, getting hold of him and uh, and getting him to reveal his feelings uh, 
for the podcast. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And uh, I definitely would not advise getting a lift if he's on a Vespa at all. <laughs> yes. What a fantastic tale that was too. Thank you very much, Mike. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear more, why not subscribe to the Lockdown Podcast? To get in touch with Company of Makers, email us at lockdown at companyofmakers.com.